Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hi friends, how are you guys doing today? Welcome back to my show. My name is Ashley Ariana. Today I'm here with Rohan and we're going to talk about the 49ers unfortunately falling to five and three after Sunday's game. Not ideal, definitely not what I was hoping for coming into the last three game stretch. Um, even with all the injuries, I was thinking that maybe they would split after the after the Browns game before the bye week. Um, and that was when I was thinking Christian McCaffrey was going to be out. And I was just guessing if they were being conservative, you know, but so a little bit disappointing, but still have a bye week luckily to get healthy, which they definitely need. And um, hopefully can make some important changes, at least to morale, which I think is going to be something I want to talk about that I think is maybe an underrated subject. And so maybe I'll start with that. What is this what is this team's identity to you right now, Rohan? And well, first of all, I should ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? Sorry. I'm doing good. I appreciate, you yeah. know, uh coming on a Monday. It's gonna be a you know a fun show. And yeah, I think nice. you, you talk about you talk about football and you talk about identity. I think yeah. you're hoping usually eight weeks through the season that the team finds some sense of identity. And I think early on you could you know, you could you could point things out because this team was offensively scoring at least thirty points. So this was a team where you count on they're going to score thirty points a game. Defensively, you're limiting opponents to you know to fifteen points a game on average. Defensively, you could you know utilize that bend don't break mentality, that kind of thing. You could you could adjust to them. Where even if teams were getting yards, they weren't scoring points. And now I think you you have a little bit of a shift. This is the first game where the 49ers have given up over thirty points. Up until this one, defensively, you, you talk about Ben don't break. They 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 haven't really given up many points, despite giving up more yards in certain games. That wasn't the case in this one. They gave up 31 points, and offensively, I think the biggest issue over the last three weeks is you go from 30 points a game in five uh, what is it in five straight games, and then now the last three games in a row, you don't score more than 20 points. You score 17 points in three straight games. That's an issue. A lot of people want to point to the 49ers defensively. There's issues there. Steve Wilkes has issues there, and the dynamic seems off right now, and maybe that's affecting the identity, but it's not just a defensive issue. That's one thing I want to point out. It's an offensive issue, too. You're not seeing as many points being put up on the board. They're only 17 in each of the last three games, and it's not like they don't have opportunities. They're driving down the field certain times. You're just turning the ball over. You're missing a field goal. There's certain issues, penalties that arise that have stopped the 49ers from reaching what their identity is supposed to be. So right now, I think this is a team searching for an identity. And the one that they had at the beginning of the season right now, they're trying to get that back. I agree. And I feel like coming into the season on that win streak, I think they had a bit of a different identity than we're used to under the Kyle Shanahan regime. I've always considered the 49ers identity to be their strong run game, a dominant defense, and like a total physicality on both sides of the ball. Like, and all, all out. I always, whenever I think of the 49ers identity, I think of how they practice and how, and the standards that they hold their players to. Former players have often talked about this. Kyle Shannon has talked about this. And it's supposedly even the reason that Brandon Ayuk originally was in the doghouse was because in practice, the level of physicality that they expect their players to bring is on another level. They really want to make sure you're not avoiding contact. You're running 100%. You're tackling 100% no matter what the circumstance is. And that's been like a standard that the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan have really held. And 
I think it's been kind of shocking to see, and and maybe that's why more focus has been put on the defense is because uh, as fans, we're used to seeing the defense be so dominant in those specific areas. Even if they're giving up points, you're you know they're diving, they're they're tackling as hard as possible. It, it it's usually if I, if we're thinking back to like last year, it's like the Chiefs kind of dice them up, but that was less about them looking stagnant and slow and more about the, the Chiefs themselves looking dominant, where it's been kind of confusing seeing the 49ers defense almost and, and offense, both both sides of the ball, almost look like they're the ones stopping themselves. It doesn't necessarily look like the other team is doing so well that they're, you know, just beating them. It looks like they've, and, and Kyle Shanahan even said in his press conference today at three, that they seemed on film tired and slow. And he was saying it in regards of like looking forward to the bye week. But in my opinion, that's a little bit unacceptable because that it hasn't just been something that they've shown this week. And even with the bye week coming, you can't just be like, okay, well, we're going to mail it in this. And, and he wasn't saying that he was just, you know, I think calling attention to the fact that there is injuries, but all these teams are suffering with injuries at this time of the year. And the 49ers still have a plethora of talent that's not living up to one, their contracts and two, just the, the identity that they've, they've given themselves so far. So um, maybe, maybe I could start there by asking you, what do you think is going on with this 49ers run game? Why do you think it's so inefficient before we get into the defense? I like you you pointing that out. I mean, I think that there was a couple of things. Kyle Shanahan actually talked about it earlier this week, and I think that he he brought up some good points. I think um, one thing that he pointed out with the run game is not being able to create as much space. He also thought that he got away from the run game in the second half this week, and despite this game really being a one-score game for a majority of this second half up until you know the Bengals were able to pull, pull away there with their second touchdown, um, you know, there there were chances to run the football. 49ers just didn't do so. I think uh, some of those issues were there after, you know, you saw a couple of good runs in the first half. But I think it's a, it's a variety of things. One, you're missing two of your most physical players in Trent Williams and Debo Samuel. That obviously changes things. Trent Williams, you look statistically, the 49ers run a lot better to their left side. And that's because Trent Williams is there. That opens up outside zone runs and things like that. George Kittle pointed out the other day, how he thought this Niner team, you know, when he, when he when he was here and when he's been here, he pointed out how outside zone has kind of been a huge concept, and that's not something that they've kind of gone to as much um, before. He's his real quote was one of the best things we do is run the football, and we just put ourselves in situations where we can't run the football, and oh, yeah, because yeah, the Forty Niners have had penalties on first down, second down, it's second and twenty, first and twenty. You can't run the football as much, so I think it's some of those self-inflicted wounds where you're 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 penalizing yourself, and then you take away one side. And the one way teams have beaten the Niners is making them one-dimensional. The run game has lost a bit of his identity recently, and Christian McCaffrey is also injured, and so I think that there's a number of things. I like how you bring up the topic because I think this is a, an underrated topic. You not, you're missing physicality, mm-hmm. Brett Williams, Debo Samuel. You're missing the guy who you usually run to the left side with and get a lot of success out of. You're also missing your most physical runner in Debo Samuel because they don't play Elijah Mitchell or Jordan Mason that much. You're missing. Both of those players, both of those players have also, and this is more philosophy than actual like play base, but other players on the team and uh, Kyle Shanahan has addressed like Debo Samuel as like the heartbeat of the team. I know in 2020 when he really took over, uh, Kyle Shanahan would always say the team goes how Debo goes and same thing with Trent Williams if you think back to last year when they would walk out with the boombox I'm pretty sure they probably still do it this year yeah. but I know it was really iconic the last two years Trent Williams and Debo Samuel were the guys who would walk out kind of leading that charge or confidence setting that tone which I think all those things like I said they're kind of woo-woo based because this is, it's just words but I do think that that matters to the team and when we're talking about Kyle saying like, okay, they're looking a little stagnant. They're looking a little slow. I think missing two of the most pivotal uh, motivate, motivation-based guys is probably actually an important loss that, you know, aside from just their play, like they're great players, but also you're, mis- you're missing that like emotional uh, grit that they bring. No doubt. I also think, though, the more important thing is San Francisco should still win. 
I think they should win without both of those guys in some of these games, you know? And so I think that that's another important thing. San Francisco still got to win these games. And so I do think that that's one factor, but you talk about penalties and things like that, backing you up. Those can't happen to the extent that they're happening. And I think that goes to discipline, similar to turnovers and things like that. That goes to discipline and the 49ers need to improve on that. And that starts up top. And so I think it's a variety of things. I think the run game needs to improve, but I also think Christian McCaffrey isn't at 100% right now. The oblique injury, those take a while to heal from. Yeah. And I don't know how smart it was to play him through it. Now you get a whole bye week to, to continue, and so hopefully you come out of it, you know, re-energized and things like that. Shanahan said they played slow on tape. You don't want to play slow with the Niners. You want to play fast and physical. Mm-hmm. With that, do you think that they should be utilizing – I mean, this is such a – I feel like a topic that that people have kind of maybe overdone, but with Christian McCaffrey's injury and the defense or the offensive run game, like stagnation, do you think that they should be utilizing Jordan Mason more? Elijah Mitchell seems to be lacking the explosiveness that he used to bring. Originally I was kind of thinking that um, if Elijah Mitchell got more carries, like maybe he needed to get into a flow, but we've seen him get way more game time over the last two games. And he's still um, definitely not as productive. Now, Christian McCaffrey is getting touchdowns, but when it comes to his yards per carry, he's definitely slowed down quite a bit. Um, what do you think would be a solution to that? Or do you think it's mainly the offensive line? And if it's mainly the offensive line, do you have any comments for the recent news that Aaron Banks, also on that left side, um, just suffered a toe turf toe injury? And it's going to yeah. be out multiple weeks after the bye week. Now, hopefully Trent Williams comes back, so that kind of negates it because obviously he's way better. But just seems like a little bit of a rolling downhill for the 49ers, you know, one thing causing another. Yeah, I mean, if you talk, if you want a reason as to why Elijah Mitchell and Jordan Mason aren't playing, I think the reason is just because they don't provide what Christian McCaffrey does as an overall unit. I mean, the 49ers, what they want to do offensively is have the entirety of their playbook open at all costs. And Christian McCaffrey provides that because he is such a lethal threat in both that facets of the field. So the 49ers, they're trying to figure out the balance of utilizing McCaffrey in that way, but also, you know, keeping him, keeping him on the, on the sidelines to, to preserve his health at the expense of losing that entire playbook. And there are certain times where you just want to run the football and the 49ers need to do a better job of that. Kyle Shanahan needs to find a way to balance his running back rotation a little more to get Christian McCaffrey more breathing room, but also to make him more efficient and more, you know, effective on the plays that he is on the field, like those passing plays where he is used as decoy or where he's, you know, uh, commanding attention or whatever it may be. So I do think that there should be more utilization. I can understand why you might be more hesitant to do so just because of what Christian McCaffrey brings to you as a team, you know, with your team, but he's already gotten a major injury uh, thus far. It hasn't cost him many weeks, but that's one that you got to, you got to watch for. And I think that that's important as for the offensive line, Aaron Banks injury is big because that was one of the other spots where you, you saw some consistency offensively. I think Banks has been all right this year. I don't think he's necessarily been elite, but I think he's been all right this year. However, I do think that right side of the offensive line is pretty struggled. He, it struggled. Uh, you talk about McKevitt, you talk about Burford. I think those guys have struggled. And now, you know, you, you could add an argument where John Feliciano might sub in not only for – he could have subbed in for Burford or Brendel because Brendel also hasn't looked that great. Now he, you're going to have to start him at left guard. And so I think when you talk about it, that interior offensive line is getting worse. And that's an issue because the 49ers, even if they get Trent Williams back, you do want to see that offensive line shored up. And so right now you might miss Aaron Banks for a week or two, and that might put you again in the loss column if you're facing against you know a tougher defense, depending on how long he ends up uh, being out. Because the issue is a lot. The 49ers, not only this year, but in, in years past, they've had struck, they've struggled with the interior defensive linemen that are really good. You talk about last year. Week six against the Atlanta Falcons, they struggled against Grady Jarrett. Grady Jarrett changed the directory, uh, the direction of the game. I mean, and if you talk about a couple of the games this year, you talk about Cleveland. They struggled against Alvin Tomlinson, Jordan Elliott. They struggled, um, you know, they struggled against a couple of these matchups in the last few weeks. And I think that that's pretty noteworthy. This week as well, you talk about a 
the defensive line. I thought Cincinnati got the best better of them with their defensive line versus our offensive line. Completely agree, which it's just a little bit disappointing that because I, I had heard a lot of that too with the having Feliciano maybe step in for Burford Burford and now him needing to take over for Banks is is a shame. Banks definitely isn't a world beater, but I feel like when you don't hear a guy's name, that usually means he's doing pretty good. And I feel like over this last this last year, he's been called more. Really quick before moving to our no our next topic, I thought this one was funny. Uh, <laughs> he says, "No identity crisis. We are McFlurry machine, a McDonald's vanilla play calling, and always broken." And I just wanted to laugh That's with funny. you. If yeah. you've had, did you? I used to love McFlurries like after um on fridays like i did cheer so we would have practice and then my dad would take me and my friends to and then McDonald's. it would go right after yeah yes and i would always get the butterfinger one but i like to like eat the chocolate off the butterfinger first and then i would make my dad get the m&m one and i would try to steal his too so i like secretly got two different flavors so do you, have you ever had a mcflurry and yeah i've had them at some <laughs> pretty interesting times i'll say that in the night and so yeah. sometimes you know we'll, you'll just chill you'll go to mcdonald's at the end of the night or something you'll order a mcflurry and hopefully they still got them so you know but yeah, yeah. It, definitely some nice memories with them and then speaking of my dad really quick he is he said the o-line isn't doing their job period super bold so you know he means business um, I agree, and it unfortunately does not seem. I mean, it will get better with Trent Williams uh, returning from injury. Hopefully, at the end of um, at the end of this bye week. But yeah, it, it's a shame that um, Aaron Banks is suffering from turf toe, especially because like didn't um, and maybe it's different quarterback versus offense line, but you wouldn't think so because offensive linemen have to like dig their feet in. But I remember it wasn't Aaron Rodgers who got that, and he like wasn't able to play for like almost half a season or something am i completely missing yeah turf toe turf toe is it's like actually a really great. big deal even though it sounds like yeah. oh it's your toe i broke my toe so i feel like i have like a ton of uh empathy not now it's it's better okay. but like when you think of a broken toe like you're like oh okay you have like i was gonna say uh 10 other toes and i was like that's not how you do math you have nine other ones so but your toes like they hurt like if you can't i couldn't walk i was like you have to like lift your toe up. Like I have no idea how people would play a sport with with a toe injury. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so not ideal for that. But switching gears a little bit onto the other side of the ball, um, I saw you um, quote tweeting something about this, and it's been a very popular conversation since honestly since last week when he kind of came hat in hand, apologizing in a press conference for that uh, all out blitz with 16 seconds left before the first half last week. And this this week, unfortunately, it did not seem to get turned around that much, although his play calling did seem a little bit different. Like, he definitely had some strategy um, changes. But how do you feel right now about Steve Wilkes and about people literally calling to having, have him fired? Would – is there is – there, how, how would that even be possible? Because right now – who would be replacing him that would make sense? Do you think that that's an overreaction to a couple bad games? Like you were saying, this game, giving up 31, you deserve criticism. The other games, in my opinion, if you give up 22 points or under, I feel like as an offense, it, this is an offensive league. All the rules are made for scoring. The NFL wants high-scoring games. If, if you're holding defense or offenses to 22 or under i i'm not saying you're above criticism but i think a firing conversation is ridiculous but you know i i will admit that when you're watching them let alone not not talking about points but just when you're watching the defense it does not look like a defense that i recognize as a 49er fan i think uh something that illustrates that really well was joe burrow was about to get sacked or he wasn't about to get sacked, but he was facing pressure. He seemed completely unfazed by the pressure. Four guys around him, none of them sack him for some reason. He's able to shimmy out, and Trevor's word is right here. Zero reason for him not to just tackle him. He kind of puts out his hand a little bit and then, like, jumps to the side of him. And it was, like, the most 
I've like business decision type play that I've ever seen someone on the 40. Like, I feel like normally on this 49ers team, they, if a player would have done that, they would have been like told to go home at halftime. Like I've never seen uh, a player for this defense work like that. So all that to say, I understand the criticism, but points wise, this seems to be the first game where they really let it slide. How do you, do you think it's an overreaction to start calling for Steve Wilkes' job? Yeah, I think there's, like you said, a lot to break down here. You talk about the points kind of aspect. I think the point aspect is interesting because the 49ers uh, defense, they've given up some yards in certain games. They've given up a lot of yards in certain games. But like I said, in the early portion of the season, they had that bend, don't break mentality. That was their identity, not giving up a lot of points, even if, you know, they, they were they were very effective in the red zone defensively. And they, they, they were able to stop teams from getting touchdowns and even sometimes generating turnovers in that area. And so they, they, they've been successful in certain parts. And even this week, I think you can make that argument in the first half. Defensively, they were not good in the first half. There were four scoring opportunities for the Bengals on each of their first four drives. But the Bengals only ended up with 14 points because they had a fumble in the red zone, and then they had a missed field goal from Evan McPherson as well. So you could have had, you know, potentially 24 points. They only limited it to 14 because of the situation that occurred. And so I think the points don't always tell the full story. I think you you, you do see how the defense is playing overall. But I will say this. I think the defense, there are issues. There are certainly issues on Steve Wilkes himself. Steve Wilkes needs to improve, and there are certain schematic things that he needs to change. That is 100%. But you brought up a great point. Who do you change him to? Because on this defensive, uh, you know, on this defensive staff, I made sure I double checked. There aren't people who you can have like that you can go to who have experience calling plays. The one other guy was Corey Unlin. Corey Unlin was the um, the secondary coach for uh, you know he was there last year. I think he was there since mm-hmm. 2020. He had experience because he was the defensive coordinator for the uh, the Detroit Lions back when Kosarek was with the Lions. Um, you know a while back, he he has experience there, but he moved on. He's the passing game coordinator or something like that for the Houston Texans now. He's not here anymore. And so you have some young, intriguing candidates. Daniel Bullocks is a guy who a lot of people peg could have been the potential defensive coordinator. He's the safeties coach for the 49ers right now. But there's not guys with experience. And I think without guys with experience, it's tough to say who who can you really just plug in and expect to be a better play caller than one of the most experienced guys in the business right now. So Steve Wilkes needs to improve. I think he knows that. And I can't deny that the dynamic right now between him and Kyle Shanahan is awkward. It's weird. I, I haven't seen, you know, Kyle yeah, Shanahan talk about his defensive coordinator like this before. I'm not going to necessarily, Probably. like, I'm not going to say that it's the wrong thing to do because I, I don't think he's necessarily putting him in a wrong light. It's just he's pointing out the mistakes, which is important, but also it's an interesting dynamic right now. So I think Wilkes needs to improve. I just don't see the the grounds for firing him, understanding what situation you're going to be putting somebody else in mid-season with this type of defense. But there are certain things that you need to improve. I think the 49ers right now aren't getting the best out of their talent. Wilkes acknowledged that last week as well. I think it starts with your fronts. They got to find different ways to, I think you got to just rush. You got to find ways to not overcomplicate things. Find ways to rush for, allow your defensive players to kind of, you know, allow your defensive players to piggyback off each other on the defensive line. Utilize the entirety of their arsenal with their pass rush moves, things like that. Then you'll see plays where it was like the one where Nick Bosa beat his guy, forced Joe Burrow to step up, Armstead's right all over him. You get sacks. The 49ers got sacks this week. They got three. That was a good thing. You need three sacks in a game like this, but there needs to be more defensively, and I think it is a lot more schematically right now than it is with the talent because they got talent on this team. I agree. I think the only way I can see Steve Wilkes getting let go, in my opinion, probably would be at the end of the season. Um, yeah. But if it was midseason, I think I've, I I like how you pointed out the the kind of weirdness of Kyle Shanahan calling Steve Wilkes out in press conferences. Last week, um, he really put that loss on Steve Wilkes and then didn't come out uh, or that just that play calling decision on Steve Wilkes, and then it didn't come out until like four days later to kind of take his own accountability for it. Um, but actually, more so than even Kyle Shanahan, um, something that I noticed, I think it was two to three weeks ago now, and it was when Nick Bosa first started getting questions about his lack of sack production. I know he's been getting tons of pressures, but like not getting home. Um, 
he kind of mentioned the scheme and that's where I could see there being like a, like a, if, if Nick Bosa isn't behind Steve Wilkes and, and that's why, you know, as a, as a coach, that's, that's the one reason I would uh, criticize Kyle Shanahan for calling out Steve Wilkes is if all these players believe in Kyle Shanahan, if they think that Kyle is questioning Steve, Steve Wilkes, I feel like that's a way for, for Wilkes to lose his side of the ball. You know what I mean? But yeah, I could see, I could see if, if Nick Bosa wants you fired, I think you get fired on this team because I think the Yorks, Kyle Shanahan, anyone will do anything to make sure Nick Bosa gets his production back. Cause actually when you look at the amount of sacks, was it you that was literally telling me this? I might be speaking to the, what is it? Preaching to the choir. Uh, the rest of the, the defense last year, got a similar sack production that they're getting this year. It's actually not that different. The main difference is that Bosa had like 10 sacks by now last year. And right now he has 2.5 and that's going all the way back into the, um, into the playoffs last year too. I think it was Grant that had a, a tweet about that saying like this, this went back 12 games. He's had like three sacks or something, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I mean, I think when it comes to Bosa, I do think some of the stuff is overblown a little bit, just because I think with the talent you have on this team and Wilkes blitzing a little more, you might see sacks from linebackers a little more, and you also might just see sacks overall across the board a little more. Bosa's getting pressures. The one thing, though, when I say about pressures, I think pressures are valuable, but you do have to find a way to finish the play. And I think the 49ers have had a problem with that on both sides of the ball. Finishing the drive offensively and scoring points has been an issue the last three weeks, but defensively finishing the play and getting the sacks didn't really come until this week. And so I think that that's something the defense has to appreciate. And it also that I think that also puts Steve Wilkes in a position where you got to put your players in the best position to succeed, and that hasn't come yet. So I think that you know you can you could cause uh, attribute it to a mix of things. This wasn't the best game from Bosa on a in an overall standpoint because he didn't run uh, you know run defend as well with a couple of misses, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do temper it a little bit on the criticism for Bosa, even though he has a bunch, uh, he hasn't had the sack rate that he has had in the, in the past. But I, I think that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some valid criticism, but I also think that a part of it is overblown. Um, something that I saw was opposing quarterbacks have a 144.4 passer rating when under pressure, versus the Niners in the last two weeks. I I think it was you that I asked a couple weeks ago when, no, because it, it was against Kurt Cousins, so it was last week, where I said, I wonder if there's something on film that other other teams are be able to pick up. Because even when Kurt, this, I first noticed this with Kurt Cousins, even when there was like four guys around him, he knew exactly where to throw the ball. And we saw a similar thing with Joe Burrow, although he was sometimes more able to scramble than obviously than Kirk Cousins who kind of stood in there. But um, that's kind of like an astounding passer rating for quarterbacks under pressure. Why do you think that that's happening? Is it something to do with the, is it just the pass rush and the secondary are not uh, meshing right now? Why do you think, why do you think quarterbacks are able to perform so well when under pressure when previously I feel like the pressure that the 49ers sprung really uh, startled quarterbacks and maybe cause them to make erratic decisions or take sacks just because they would be so fearful of the the D line that the 49ers have. I mean, they supposedly should be better this year, right? Like they went out and right. spent money on Hargrave. I think it's the way that they're generating pressure because sometimes a lot of these pressures might come with five, Russian five, maybe Russian six, even if they rush four, because the way that you, uh, the way that you create pressure also affects the way that you're covering. And so sometimes, you know, if it's one-on-one -on -one coverage and you're running to open space, it's easier for quarterbacks to hone in on their receivers and say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply find ways to complete the first down. You also have to look and give credit to the quarterbacks. I think when you look at the two of the three quarterbacks that they faced, because PJ Walker really didn't have a great game. He was 18 to 34, 192 yards, had the interceptions as well. So he didn't have the best game, but these two quarterbacks have notoriously been pretty solid when in these situations, Kirk cousins, Joe Burrow. So I think you do give them credit, but at the end of the day, these are the type of quarterbacks that you're going to face in the Super Bowl or in the NFC Championship or in the playoffs. You got to be prepared for that. And so I think it's it's an, uh, it's also getting to mixing up some of those coverages. Um, and I mean, it, it also is situational. There there was a play call. The 49ers called a timeout. They come out of it. It's a third and nine. That play call was a very interesting one. Uh, the Bengals go four out. They 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 put out four four different receivers or four different pass catchers out. They got run out of empty. Uh, no, uh, because Joe Mixon was out. They have Dre Greenlaw matched up in the slot against Jamar Chase. <laughs> They've also got the whole yeah, middle yeah. part of the field wide open because yeah. they're trying to. They don't they don't put anybody in the middle of the field because it's just one on one coverage across the board. And then you've got your two safeties. Uh, you know, too high. You got your too high shell. That allows not only, you know, for so much space over the middle for receivers to operate out of where you're going to be able to find a uh, find a route or what happened on the play. Joe Burrow takes off and he goes untouched nine yards for the first down. It's certain things like that where it's situational, where you've got to find a way, even if pressure is getting there, flushing him out of the pocket, you got to find a way where every part of the play is working. And right now that isn't the case for the 49ers. Definitely agree. Really quick, I wanted to address some of these comments. This guy, oh, that's not what I was trying to say. This guy says, uh, sorry, Inventive Film says, Chris Kosarek, the D-line coach, would replace him. So Chris Kosarek, I think, is a wonderful um, position coach, and he is paid very, very well. He's been interviewed before and asked this question. He actually said that he isn't interested in being a defensive defensive coordinator. I guess he's tried it before, and he said that, when he was looking at it, he just kept looking back at the defensive line. He wasn't really interested in the secondary. Now, maybe these things have changed. I know that that interview, I think, where he was asked about that was last year in preparation for D'Amico Ryan's moving on. I think reporters were curious if they would look in-house and if Chris Kosarek would be interested in something like that. And at the time, he did say that he was not um, interested in that in that defensive coordinator position. I will say, I, I understand why your brain would go there. He's definitely very highly regarded around the league and in this 49ers office. Do you have anything to say about that really quick, Rohan? Yeah, I think he'd be better suited. Even if he was a DC, he'd be better suited where he had a head coach who was the defensive play caller. I don't know if he's that interested in being the defensive play caller. He might be interested in the title and the money that it provides, but He's a defensive line coach through and through. He's going to be hands-on with the defensive line and things like that. And once again, like I pointed out. Also, the D-line isn't doing great right now, so. (laughs) I mean, that, but once again, the thing I pointed out before is he's never been a play caller. Like, that's another thing. You talk about the growing pains Wilkes is growing through. I, I just wonder, who do you shift to? I don't, there's nobody who has extensive play calling experience, especially in the NFL level who has extensive play calling experience that you could really rely on as another voice in that locker room. Yeah. I feel similarly to the fire Steve Wilkes conversation as I do of the, should, should the 49ers go to Sam Darnold conversation. If you want to win a Super Bowl, if you want to win a championship, you're not firing your defensive coordinator mid season. You're not changing your quarterback. That's just like, not, I don't think anyone is going to be going, um, making those decisions right now if they're really trying to go all in 
on this season, which I think they're still trying to install faith in really quickly. Uh, this commentator says Philly and Seattle are playing chess while we're playing checkers. That Philadelphia game was very impressive. I think the way we're talking about the 49ers identity and maybe the offense right now kind of shows like a lack of kind of, they're kind of front runners right now. They kind of, I mean, even with those George Kittle comments, he basically was like, Hey, if we're not winning right off the bat, then we kind of have to ditch our identity um, in order to, you know, can't do what we want where Philly was able, I think at one point where they three, they were like, it was like three to 17 or something, or maybe even more than that uh, for the commanders talk about a defense. Like no one's, no one's threatening to fire the Philadelphia defense, even though they gave up like 30 points to the commanders, letting Sam Howe walk all over them. And no one cares because the offense was able to keep up. So, um, yeah. And then did you see the Seahawks? They traded for uh, Leonard Williams today. Do you have any um, thoughts on that? I know he was a, a D lineman for the Giants. He had a really good 2020 season. Um, yeah. It's been okay. Leonard Williams is an interesting move. I mean, I thought the price was pretty high. 2024 second round pick, but it's a late second round pick nonetheless. But I thought the price was pretty high. But Seahawks, they want to go in. They're trying to bolster up the defensive line, and that's an area where you know they haven't necessarily been as strong. They that's why they're adding pieces. They add Draymond Jones. They really lost you know one of those interior guys in Al Woods. I don't think um, I don't think Leonard Williams is the replacement. He's more of a three tech rather than a nose. Um, or sorry, a five tech or a three tech rather than a nose. And so I expect him to, you know, fill in a role there for that defense. Uh, Seattle's looking solid. Still, I'm not, I'm not confident in them necessarily winning the division, but they look solid. And so, yeah, uh, I'll give, I'll give them credit for the move. Okay. So I like you, I feel like, and maybe it's just the Geno Smith of it all and the buy the 49er enemy of it all, where I'm like, I don't think the Seahawks are still, like, I still believe that the 49ers, are going to be are going to end up lasting longer in the playoff playoffs than mm -hmm. the Seahawks. Not necessarily. I I am nervous for the game. I think that they have a really good secondary, which is shown to give our offense some struggles. Um, so I'm not saying that like the games against them will be a breeze, but I just think like are the 49ers team at their best versus the Seahawks. The 49ers team has looked a lot more dominant. But if you're the Seahawks right now and you're kind of seeing the the 49ers go on this little um, losing streaks do you think they them as a team are confident that they could beat the Niners I mean we haven't faced them yet so we have two more matchups against the Seahawks which is in our own division um coming up fairly soon do you think if you're on the Seahawks right now or you're a Seahawks fan that you're looking at the Niners you know because I think we look we look at things from our team's perspective but if you're the Seahawks they're going all in they're making moves they don't seem to be they don't seem to be afraid they seem to be maybe noticing that there's some blood in the water and kind of trying to improve their own team and take advantage of this little rut that the 49ers are in. No, I think they definitely have a reason to be optimistic. I mean, you look at it, you're, you're number one in the NFC West right now. I think that's important. I think they've definitely got a reason to be optimistic. If you talk about the Seahawks, though, I mean, when you look at it, they got, you know, they're five and two. They've lost to the Bengals. They've lost to the Rams. You look at their wins. The Lions one was extremely impressive on the road, 37-31, a thriller. You look at the other teams, it's the Panthers, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Browns. The 49ers, they don't have really that impressive of a resume either. But the reason that the I said The Browns game feel, for the Seahawks is impressive. It, but it was without Deshaun Watson. I mean, that was a game where you're going to get up against the backup quarterback as well. P.J. Walker had a pretty poor game. I mean, he completed 15 and 31 passes, had two interceptions in the game. They also were with a limited Jerome Ford in that one. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, I you look at it, the schedules for both sides haven't really been that strong uh, thus far. 49ers have lost some of their stronger games. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. But talent-wise, I think the 49ers are better right now. But you never count out the Seahawks, who are always a well-coached team, a well-organized team, and a team right now that seems like they're not I mean they're willing to make moves. So I, I think that you can definitely see some glimpses of hope on that side. And I, I'd definitely be ecstatic if I was the Seahawks right now, you know, um being where they are at the moment and having a you know a good run. I wanna side note really quick. We've we've discussed trades for the 49ers before, but do you uh, still see them making a trade at the trade deadline? Kyle Shanahan on his call today said that John Lynch has been on the phone, but that there's not many options open. I've been kind of um, 
I think it was from your article, but it was like three weeks ago now. So I've I've said mm-hmm. this for a while that Jalen Johnson, in my opinion, seemed like an, a reasonable candidate because I think when you put that out there was when the Patrick Sertan uh, talk was kind of heating up. And in my opinion, with the offensive line struggles that we're that we're talking about right now, I just don't think it's realistic that the 49ers are going to give away a first round pick. And I think in order to get that, you'd have to give away a first round pick and more. So Jalen Johnson, to me, seemed like a more realistic choice that would still fill in that role. Are you um, thinking that the 49ers will make a move before, I think it's Wednesday, right? Is the trade deadline? Tomorrow, I believe. Oh, all right. Well, 31st. Yeah, I thought it's always going to be November 1st, but it's the 31st at 4 p.m. And so I think it's tomorrow. But overall, when you look at it, the reason Kyle Shanahan said that there's not much going on is not because players aren't active. It's just because prices right now are high. They're going to have to be very aggressive if they want you know, a top player on their board. Uh, they've made calls, obviously. Montez Sweat, Jalen Johnson, some of the guys in the mix that you've seen uh, earlier today. I mean, I think they've made calls around the board. Um, and so you, I think they're intrigued by several players around the league. Do I think they make a move at the moment? Probably would lean towards no, just because I think the price would be too high. But they've shown that they don't mind paying in, in, you know, in the past. The reason also I think they say no is I don't think this is a talent issue on the team. The team, if you're looking at upgrades, it's usually defensively right now. And I think the team has talent. Isaiah Oliver hasn't been great. But when you look at the team, and if your slot corner is your worst player on your team, you're usually in a good shape. Because other defenses are going to have other holes similar to that. And so I think it's more so you got to figure things out schematically and figure out the best way to use your players defensively. I think once you figure that out, the talent's going to start playing like the talent is supposed to be playing. The defense gets back to what it was early on. I think that's the main issue. It's not really the gap in talent. I think it's more so the, the issues elsewhere. Now, do I think that a move could help? Absolutely. If you add more talent, you're adding more talent. I just don't know what price the 49ers are going to be willing to budge because you want to keep your first-round pick this year. A good tackle class, you want to select one in the first round, potentially even keep your second-round pick, select another tackle or select another impact player in the second round this year. So maybe you you trade a mid-round pick. I don't know. I don't think Jalen Johnson goes for earlier or goes for less than a second-round pick this year. I think Montez Sweat, Daniel Hunter, all these – uh, high-end pass rushers, they're going to have a pretty solid price as well. And so I think the 49ers could make one move. Curious to see what it is. I just don't know necessarily if that moves the needle, if they don't change things outside yeah. of just pure talent in terms of schematics and things like that. It doesn't seem like a last-year situation where like, once they made the move for Christian McCaffrey, the team just completely went all firing. It definitely seems like there's more problems in-house that need to be made versus just adding someone. I do think that adding someone could help with like team confidence. You know what I mean? Like it could show the team, Hey, we still think that we're trying to win a, you know, we still believe that we're a Super Bowl caliber team and we're still trying to go all in to win a Super Bowl versus if you don't make a move, I wonder if players kind of start to question, okay, are they not as determined as they were to start this season? Now, that might be a little bit conspiracy theory. Now, last thing for the defense, and then I want to talk about uh, Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, Sam Darnold right before we leave. But just really quick to knock it out because we've kind of mentioned these topics. But when talking about, like, Kyle Shanahan publicly criticizing Steve Wilkes, um, Bosa making maybe not, like, super pointed comments, but comments that if deciphered, you know, talking about the scheme being the reason or a main, one of the main reasons he felt like a lack of his sack production and ability to get home. Richard Sherman on his podcast did not mince any words and said that he would not be surprised if Kyle Shanahan moved on from Steve Wilkes this bye week. Do you find that, do you think that that's more shock value because he's in the podcast game or, I mean, because we, we've always as fans kind of considered Richard Sherman, maybe a bit of a, a bit of an insider, a bit of a, maybe Homer, he's always really talked highly of the 49ers and of the 49ers defense specifically and of the coaches on the staff and the players on the staff. So I find I found it when he says something, I listen because I feel like he either has insight because he has insider information or just he is a good person to listen to when analyzing because he's at least been in a been a player and been in that position. So his thoughts might be representative 
of other players on the 49ers currently because you know he can look at it from that headspace. Did you find that interesting that he I don't I don't know if you heard the comments, but they were very they weren't fly. He he was like, I would not be surprised if Steve Wilkes or if Kyle Shanahan let Steve Wilkes uh go. I saw another comment from him, him saying how you know it's too much man coverage on first and second down, mm-hmm. and then also um, you know, a lot of issues with the pass rush, with the way he's utilizing the pass rush. Did not see those. Now, like I said earlier, I, I think that I would be surprised if they let go of Wilkes just because I don't know if it puts whoever's next in line in a good situation. Yeah. I think that you could do a couple of things. Maybe have Shanahan be more involved in the play-calling situation. Have him be there. Have him help with adjustments on the sideline. When you hear about the the Wilkes coming to the sideline debate, I don't think it's for the players. I don't think it's for – I think that talk's overblown. But I think it might be more so for Shanahan's sake and that he can now help adjust on the fly and you can have those conversations on the sideline, whereas okay. you might not be able to have them as efficiently in the booth. So maybe that could be the one thing. But like I said earlier, I just – I see it as a surprise – do I think that there's precedence maybe to move on from Wilkes? Perhaps. It doesn't seem like they're gelling as well as you'd like them to. And I think that you can make an argument one way or another. But, yeah, at the moment, I just don't know who's going to be there to replace him. Okay, I agree. Um, I just found it interesting to hear him talk about that. So moving on to the offensive side really quickly, or the quarterback really quickly. <laughs> Um, I saw someone say that they thought it would be like an interesting thought experiment to grade Brock Purdy so far as a quarterback in the NFL. If you were to grade him A through F, um, what what level do you think he's played at so far in totality of his entire career? What what I I'm gonna make an argument. I'll start so because I feel like maybe I'm not setting up the question well. I think I would give him either a B minus or a C. And I think that that takes into consideration his hot start, you know, uh, was undefeated for most of his career, but then also takes into consideration his maybe lack of explosive skill set. But he is still, you know, he, he's shown a lot of athleticism. Actually, I, it's kind of interesting, right, because how how the outcome of a, of a game ends up forming the narrative of, of the quarterback. And to be fair, all five of Brock Purdy's interceptions have came in the second half of games in like when the 49ers are only down by one touchdown. So in really terrible times, has he turned the, the ball over? Like he's made the mistakes at the worst times. It's not just making mistakes, but it's actually, it's also where he's made them in the red zone on the five yard line, you know, is so much worse than an interception on the other side of the field. Um, so he's, his bats have been really bad, but his highs have been really high. So I would give him probably, a B minus. And I, I think he can turn it around. Why do you think all of a sudden his turnover luck has has been so negative? Because he, he's always had a high high level of turnover worthy plays, but right now the luck is not swinging his way. How do you feel about Brock Purdy after this game overall as a quarterback? Um, yeah. I think you and me are actually pretty spot on in terms of where you and I evaluate him. Um, mine's a C plus when you answer, when you asked the question, I was thinking C plus, and then you said B minus to a C. So right in that range, reason being last year, I thought he was probably in the 20, uh, right around number 20 in terms of the quarterback rankings, uh, and things like that this year. I think he's improved. I think he's above average. Um, so in that, just like in that, you know, in the 10 to 16 range is probably where I'd put him somewhere around there. And I think he's maybe in the middle of that. And that's where, when I said earlier this year, you're starting to get into the upper echelon of quarterbacks because there's probably like 13 guys that you say are franchise guys in the NFL. Top 10, I think you can make an argument, but also I think that there are other factors that a lot of fans don't necessarily see until they come on the screen. That is turnovers. He's had turnovers, and they've come in up in opportune times, and I think the question that you could have asked the last few weeks is with players injured, with your team in tougher situations, this is where Brock Purdy has really been you know, he's really been tested. Can you carry the team on your back when they need you to? And unfortunately, three weeks straight, the answer hasn't been yes. You know, the first few weeks, it's been not necessarily close games. You've been comfortable. You've made so many explosive plays that the little mistakes have gone away. And I mean, it's not that they've gone away, but they they don't really matter. Now, with games being closer, 
the little mistakes matter, and unfortunately, they're hitting. Now, the second part, you pointed out turnover-worthy play rate. It's been high throughout Brock Purdy's career. And last year was pretty high. I'd say I forget exactly the number. This year it's at 5%. 5% is at top five in the NFL, and 5% is pretty darn high. The reason, though, that you're seeing a little bit more of a negative approach towards Brock Purdy and his turnovers this year is because he's regressing to the mean. When you see turnover-worthy play rate, that's what your expectation is. But then the turnover worthy, the turnovers actually are much lower because obviously defenses miss opportunities. But this year, it's regressing more to the mean in that the opportunities are that you expect them to get, more of them are coming uh, for the defense in terms of generating these turnovers. And so this is what you – yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, people were saying that last year, like, like you can't be this lucky forever. You know what I mean? It wasn't Correct. like – he wasn't making mistakes. It was like that those mistakes weren't being capitalized on. And I think I think that's what's been this is side note-ish, but I think you'll agree with me. That's been what's been kind of surprising to me with the kind of like, you know, oh, all of a sudden he's bad now, or we should go to Sam Darnold or whatever. Is this doesn't surprise me from from Brock Purdy? I kind of if if someone would have came up to me and said, without a run game, with the defense performing poorly can Brock Purdy carry the team I would have said no coming into this game and that doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback I still think he's a really good quarterback I think even last game aside from his like worst mistakes which once again were at the worst time and definitely would bring down his grade if you were like grading him for the game you would give him a poor grade because you give more stakes to the most important moments but he did perform well in that first half of the game and he did he did performed well in in Minnesota as well um but yeah I got a, I got a little lost there oh I was just saying without in my opinion when when you reflect on Brock Brock Purdy's skill set it it never surprised me that he needed a coach that was calling a good scheme I think people people have said that since the beginning that he really benefits from Kyle Shanahan's system and from the players around him um and and um yeah, so I, I don't know. This this him not being able to carry a team that has a poor offense of line, has no run uh rushing ability, and defense is giving up big plays. It didn't surprise me that he looked poorly this game. Did he No, I think I think so. And I mean I, I again the other part is like when Brock Purdy, you know, when the, the piling on Brock Purdy starts, I think there's also it's also important to note that not everything was his fault. The 49ers in this game, you talk about Brock. Um, I thought he played a good first half. I thought he he kept the 49ers in this in in the game in the first half, and I thought he you know he, he had a good job there. Second half, you drive down the field and then you commit the turnover, the interception in the red zone, where it was not only an inexcusable play because he doesn't hand the ball off for what could have been a touchdown. He also, even if that's not an interception, he takes a penalty there and then drives them even back because. On a play like that where it's RPO, you either have to throw the ball immediately or you have to hand it off. He didn't do either, and he committed the interception. So it's plays like that where, you know, it's not like everything Brock Purdy's doing is bad. No, there's a reason I cite him as an average, above average quarterback. But when you talk about carrying your team, things like that, those mistakes cannot happen in situations like that. And so for a good portion of this game, Brock Purdy played well. It's just the turnovers were a killer for the 49ers and ultimately led to a 10-point swing. That one cost the 49ers seven points. And then the second interception led to a field goal the other way. That cost the 49ers, you know, three more points um, or so. Or, you know, you, you sorry, that cost the 49ers seven more points because they scored a touchdown on the very ensuing play to Jamar Chase. So you can talk about a 10 to 14 point swing right there. That ultimately comes as a result of his decisions. And unfortunately, that's the way that it is. So, you know, there, there are different, different things that you can point to. Brock Purdy certainly has a good foundation. You just got to start limiting these turnover worthy plays. And that's why discussion about him is occurring. I completely agree. Okay. So I want to wrap it up, wrap it up. Cause I know that we had limited time today. So I'm going to end this with the last question while we're talking about the turnover worthy plays. And I kind of feel like people need to give Brock Purdy a little bit more grace. I'm not saying don't criticize him. He deserves all the criticism. He deserves all the adjustments, but I think, the moving on to Sam Darnold talk is a little bit ridiculous for a Super Bowl caliber team. But I'm going to end it with a little bit of a ridiculous question just because it's Monday. It's overreaction Monday. If Brock Purdy throws two interceptions against the Jacksonville Jaguars after the bye week, can you see Kyle Shanahan pulling him? 
during the game or replacing him after the game. And then after that, I'll let you go and um, I can wrap this up on my own because I know that you got to go. And I really appreciate you being here. For anyone that doesn't know, normally Rowan and I do shows at the end of the week and I had a last minute cancellation. So he was very nice to fill in for me super last minute. So everyone who's not here from his channel should go subscribe to his channel, which will be in the link in the description. But I'm sure most people are already just here from that anyways. Yeah. yeah. So go it. ahead with the last question. Sorry. It was the it was the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's oh. Brock Purdy uh throws two interceptions do you think that Kyle Shanahan could replace him mid-game or following that game with Sam Darnold or do you think you just have to write it up I'm not as high on the Brock Purdy being replaced by Sam Darnold wave not because I don't think that Brock Purdy has had issues I do think there are issues and I think he needs to figure them out I just don't know if Sam Darnold's really the guy to do it I think Sam Darnold's a, 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 re, a good career-level backup. I think he can be a solid backup for the 49ers and maybe a not a bad worst-case scenario guy if Brock Purdy gets injured. But we've seen Brock Purdy's ceiling be higher than Sam Darnold's, and I, I think you can also argue that parts of his floor have been higher. Sam Darnold also is not a guy who isn't turnover-prone. He's been turnover-prone throughout his career as well, and he also has a lot of games under his belt. I think he undoubtedly would look better with the 49ers than he's looked at any of his prior stops, just given the talent and the scheme. But I just don't know if I'm very much into the idea of going to Sam Donald, just because I don't think that the, ta like while he's a talented quarterback, I just don't think that there's going to be that. I don't think that there's much that warrants a change to him specifically. I completely agree. I think the, the silly thing about going to Sam Darnold in a situation like that is even if he, you know, came in and played really good that game, if you were switching to like him as your quarterback, you know that a game like that is coming from him as well. So it's not like you're, you know, moving on to someone who's never had that struggle before. Um, but anyways, hopefully we'll have a little bit more to talk about the bye weeks coming up. So we'll revisit some of these discussions. I'm sure that more will come out as the week goes on if they're going to make any changes to the defensive coordinator or play calling. I think Kyle Shanahan will probably bring those up fairly soon because you wouldn't want to go into a whole bye weeks, you know, having someone play calling and, and trying to adjust their system if they weren't going to be the guy. So we'll have more definitive answers to some of those overreactions as the week goes on. And I'm sure we'll see you sometime next week, but I really, really appreciate it for you coming in, in uh last minute and, um, always educating us and I always have a really good time having you on here Rohan so thank you so much I always appreciate you thank you for having me on as always great job hosting and uh, you know a lot of fun topics today and a lot of uh, you know definitely a fun uh, fun show yeah it's it's interesting I think as a fan I like it when they win but as a content creator it kind of gives you something to talk about when they're yeah, losing you get, a, you get a little extra like, something right, well, you know, if they lose. so I guess it's a win-win situation then for you yeah, I've always, I'm not a better, but I've always thought if I was like a, a gambler that I would want to gamble on them losing because if they win, then as a fan, you're like, all right, well, they win, I'm happy. And then if they lose, you're like, well, at least they got something out of this. But I don't know, I'm not a gambler. So interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Have a great day, everyone. Please uh, like and subscribe to my channel. I'm a little over 100 uh, subscribers, that's the word, from 1,000. And I'm going to have uh, Jose Sanchez on tomorrow and steph sanchez who was supposed to be on today will be on either tomorrow or later on in the week we're going to figure something out and rohan will be back at some time because i oh well i hope he will so yeah Definitely. thank you guys so much have a great one bye support for this podcast and the following message come from corient Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.